This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This is the Anxiety Bites podcast, and I am your host, Jen Kirkman. Welcome to another episode of Anxiety Bites. I am your host, Jen Kirkman. Thank you all again for listening and for the kind things that you were saying about the podcast and how much it's helping you. And if you want to send me an email that you want me to read on air, please send to anxietybitesweekly at gmail.com. Now again, Somebody goes through these for me. So any hate mail or marriage proposals, I won't see them. But if it's something that's appropriate for the show, happy to read on air. Um, There have been some requests for certain kinds of topics, and I would love to accommodate all of that. The the main issue is that we recorded a lot of these episodes in advance. um, And then I had to move to New York for a job, and I'm currently working full time. And so... Um, I have a very small window where I can record episodes and not every guest is available at this one hour that I have available every week. So, you know, trying my best, trying to get as many different 
guests on as I can in, in all different areas. But um, anyway, today's guest, it's, you know, I was thinking, I, I always have a big, like one topic that really interests me in a certain guest. And then I see where the interview goes from there. And I always start with just something else. And then I go down the rabbit hole of what I'm talking about with the guest, which I love. I mean, my favorite part of doing this podcast is is not the researching guests for the show or updating my social media. It is actually talking to people about anxiety. I, I just sort of lose myself and I enjoy doing it so much. But the big reason that I wanted to have Joshua Fletcher, aka Anxiety Josh, is um, he's known on Instagram. That's how I first knew of him. He talks about something that I rarely to never see any other experts in anxiety. And Josh is a psychotherapist talk about, which is, as he calls it, the three D's, which is derealization, depersonalization, and dissociation. And I have experienced feelings of depersonalization and derealization. I think it's mostly derealization in an anxiety attack uh, or a panic attack rather, sorry. Because as we know, there's really no such thing as an anxiety attack. There's anxiety and then panic attacks. So what's interesting about this is it's one of my biggest symptoms. And it was, of course, one of the scariest ones that I had before I had any words for any of this. And it's the hardest one to describe because how do you describe feeling like you're not really there? It doesn't feel like fainting, although I've never fainted. But I imagine from what I've seen in the movies that fainting happens rather quickly. And it's almost like you don't know what happened. But derealization, it just seems to go on and on. And it it feels like the only way I can describe it there's a scene in the movie 16 Candles, which, by the way, does not hold up. I haven't seen it recently, but just even thinking about it, I'm like, oh, Lord. I didn't even really love it that much in the 80s, to be honest. But one of the characters, I forget everybody's name, but the, the dorky one, the younger one that wanted to hang out with the cool kids, he ends up at this party, and in the morning, he is trapped under a glass coffee table, and he's banging on it. And once the debris is cleared off the coffee table, we can see him under there. That's, to me, what feelings of derealization feel like. Like you're kind of trapped. People can see you, but you feel like you're behind a glass. Like you're not really there. And it's not an emotional feeling. I'm not giving a metaphor for, oh, I feel disconnected from people. No, I feel disconnected from myself in those moments. It feels almost like you might float away or turn invisible, or something. I wish it felt as concrete as, oh, I think I'm about to faint, but it's it's different. And I actually had the weirdest phobia as a kid. And as I say this out loud, I'm sure a ton of you will say, well, I've actually had that too, because my theory is if I thought it with my human brain, then other human brains have thought it. I couldn't be that unique. But I had a fear of losing gravity, very specifically that I would lose gravity. What does that mean? Well, we walk around all day not flying around in the air because of gravity keeping us tied to the earth. Very grateful for that. I had a fear that suddenly one day gravity would stop affecting me. Now, I don't know, you might diagnose me as a narcissist just hearing that, but the reason I think I had that 
bizarre phobia. It would only come up during feelings of derealization right before I would go into a massive panic attack. And then that was the kind of thought loop that my brain would think as I was panicking. Oh my God, what if you lose gravity? And then what? I don't know. I'm going to fly up into the atmosphere, you know, which I think would be pretty terrifying to leave Earth's atmosphere without the accoutrements of a rocket ship and all of the uh, helmets and things that you would need to, you know, breathe. And so that's the best I can explain derealization. The other way I could explain it maybe is if you've ever um, fallen asleep and then you kind of jump and wake up and you're not fully awake, but you're not asleep anymore, but you're somewhere in the middle. And I don't mean sleep paralysis. It's, it's just that weird feeling of, it's sort of like that. But again, it usually happens for no reason, at least in those weird sleep moments, I can say, well, I'm somewhere between sleep and waking. Uh, let's try to go back to sleep. So, so I talked to my guest today, Josh, about that because I've never seen anyone really talk about it. And he explains it really well. He um, has posted about it a lot on his Instagram. And we end up talking about this subway that I take sometimes that gives me uh, feelings of derealization. And I had been avoiding it lately. So at the end of this episode, you'll hear my update on that. But anyway, so let's just get right into the episode. But of course, I get to the derealization like closer to the end of the episode. But um, that's okay. It was a great chat. And I love to talk to people who do this for a living about their own experiences with anxiety and, and kind of what the world of being a psychotherapist is like in the sense that there are a lot of different methods of doing things and different methods work at different times for different people, knowing what to do when for what person. And uh, I think it's also very interesting when your psychotherapist has had their own experiences with anxiety. As Josh talks honestly about his. I don't know. I think that helps people really understand that you can have these experiences, become an expert in why they are happening and help other people. It's not like every therapist is out there on some throne thinking they're better than everyone. It's really not like that. It's usually people are called to something because they've experienced it themselves. So I don't know if, if this episode convinces anyone to try therapy, then I've, I've done my job here, but a little more on my guest today. Now, by the way, this podcast does very well in the UK. I'm getting a lot of good numbers from uh, Britain. So thank you, everybody. And that is where my guest today is from. He is in Manchester, and his name is Joshua Fletcher. You can find him on social media as Anxiety Josh. I found him on Instagram. He's a psychotherapist who specializes in working with anxiety and panic, and he has three popular best-selling books on that subject, and he's the host of the Panic Pod podcast. His latest book is called Untangle Your Anxiety. And you can get it now. I, I will put all the links in the show notes. Um, and again, if you go to thepanicroom.co.uk, you can read more about Josh and his work. His other books are called Anxiety Practical About Panic and another book called Anxiety Panicking About Panic. And again, his podcast is called The Panic Pod. So... 
Here's my chat with Josh. Tell me about your experience with anxiety. What is your past experience with anxiety and what is your experience today with it? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I've experienced a lot of anxiety. I know it's it's a buzzword. It's very vague, isn't it? Yeah. We all have anxiety. We all have trauma. We all have these things. Uh, I've experienced anxiety to the point of clinical diagnosis. So I've experienced panic disorder, uh, agoraphobia. How, see how I changed the word agoraphobia to agoraphobia there, being considerate of my transatlantic cousins. Oh, I was going to say, did yeah. you say that in American just for me? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, OCD, intrusive thoughts. Basically, if we were playing anxiety diagnosis bingo, I would be winning. Um, and I experienced <laughs> all the wonderful sensations that come with it. The thoughts, all the scary what ifs, the catastrophes, the the sensations and physical symptoms like derealization, dissociation, panic, feeling sick, wanting to throw up, perspiration, uh, muscle tension, you name it. There's hundreds of them, um, and and just yeah, and just the feelings, doom, dread, all that stuff. Um, yeah, I suffered really badly with it. I did a lot of years of trial and error to overcome it. I finally, found the right way to do it and dedicated my life to uh, helping others and educating other people about it as well. And that's why I became a psychotherapist and, and, and went down that way. And what would you say is the right way for you, at least, to handle anxiety? My way? I'm joking. Um, so <laughs> uh, the right way with, with anxiety is, um, is learning about it, psychoeducation. If you don't know what's happening, then you have no chance. You don't know what you're working with. The, the first thing I do when I talk about anxiety is split it into two. You've got conventional anxiety, which is, I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my relationship. I'm worried about money. Mm. I'm worried about insert something external. And then the other side of it is internal ruminative disordered anxiety. And this is the stuff that people don't really talk about. So this is panic attacks, obsessing, um, intrusive thoughts about stuff you don't like and it weirds you out. Mm. Um, worrying about symptoms, panicking about panic, fearing fear, avoiding things because you're afraid of fear, misinterpreting fear and, and believing what if thoughts. That's the inward disordered anxiety. So immediately for me, it was nice to hear that that kind of anxiety existed because when I was freaking out, having a panic attack after panic attack, thinking I was losing my mind, just that distinction was super helpful. Like, oh, other people struggle from this. Uh, and then that, that started the journey to, to recovery. Yeah, it, I love that you um, you said internalized ruminative anxiety. And I think there's two sides of the anxiety fence, right? There are people on one side who say, oh, I don't have anxiety. They think it's something really big and scary. They might have the more conventional anxiety. You know, I'm just stressed about my job. And mm -hmm. then the other people on the other side of the fence that have the deeper anxiety, they think they're insane. And they look at the people with conventional anxiety that are just worried about their job. And they say, no, 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 that's anxiety. It's just everyday stuff. I'm crazy. And so I think that's just something I've made up. But just from talking to people, I often talk to people who are trying to diagnose themselves or figure out how they feel. And I often hear that one thing is anxiety and one thing isn't. And it's really both, but it's just a different spectrum, right? Absolutely. Um, I get, um, I annoy a lot of therapists 
um, because I like the word disorder. Now, I've been burned at the stake for uh, <laughs> propagating the medicalization of mental health because I like the word disorder. But no, I love it by for its literal meaning mm. because all of that, what you described, is anxiety. No, everyone's anxiety is, is subjective to them. We don't negate people's suffering. But for me, it's the distinction between is it cyclical mm -hmm. or is it temporary? Now, for people who kind of worry about the conventional stuff, that is anxiety. You get worriers. You know, I've got my cousins are worriers that are constantly worrying about, oh, what if that happens? What if my boss doesn't like me? What if that happens? What if I'm ill? What if I do this? What if? Just constant external different what ifs changing it up a little bit and then you've got the disorder anxiety so this is our anxious response mm. but it's just kicking off when we don't want it to we all get anxiety before dates and job interviews and medical appointments and things like that that's normal that's okay it's still anxiety but it's like we're not questioning why we're anxious but the right. disordered anxiety is when we're like wake up with doom and we're like why am i anxious i'm lying in bed like you know like why 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 is the world suddenly look weird why do i feel like i'm in the matrix why is everything so strange why am i having weird thoughts when i'm out with my friends that's the internal disorder anxiety it's still anxiety it's the same response uh -huh. but it's our interpretation of it is different and the only thing that separates it is the fear of fear before a job interview, we're not worried about why we're worrying. We understand it. Before yeah. a first date, we know why we're anxious. It makes sense. But when we, it doesn't make sense, that's when you start to get on the, the rumination roller coaster and struggle with disordered anxiety. We'll continue the interview on the flip side of a quick message from our sponsors. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. 
I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Let me ask you this. So somebody wakes up, they're in bed. Why am I feeling weird? They're worried about why they feel anxiety, even if they don't call it anxiety. So now we're getting into the rumination. So there is a difference, obviously, between a slight curiosity. Oh, I feel a little weird, but I know nothing's wrong because I'm in bed. Huh. Let me dot, 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 investigate that. We'll get to that in a minute. And then there's, I feel weird. Blah, blah, fill in the blank. I must be dying. The world must be ending. I'm insane. There's a ghost in my bedroom. Oh, whatever. So there is a difference because like you said, okay, if you don't find out what is going on, you cannot get to solving your anxiety symptoms. But now I I like to drill down into the nitty gritty because I feel like, I I don't know, it interests me. So I know it interests someone out there. So now we've got this person laying in bed what is the difference between that kind of curious mind that knows, you know what, I think I need to talk to someone about this because I feel weird and I shouldn't, and the rumination? Can you show us or tell us what each one is? Because I think a lot of people think, well, I'm ruminating. I'm, they wouldn't call it ruminating. They'd think, no, I'm trying to figure it out, you know? Trying to fix it, trying to find the miracle thought. Great question, and there's a simple answer. People who ruminate believe that worrying will alleviate the worry. They don't feel like they can tolerate the feeling of uncertainty. Mm. The person with intrigue can tolerate the uncertainty. The person who believes they can't tolerate it will try to ruminate as a compulsion. And you're right. Some people wake up and feel like shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel like shit. Well, I know it's okay to feel like shit in the morning. I'll be all right in an hour. Sorry, am I allowed? I, I You're swore. totally allowed to swear. I, yeah. Yes, <laughs> I encourage it. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> so, uh, and then, yeah, intrigue. Like, mm, you know, you get these these yogis and these mindfulness people. They're like, treat the anxiety like uh, invite it. Intrigue. It's like, nah, man. Like, if you've got a disordered anxiety, <laughs> ignore it, man. Don't intrigue it. Don't invite it in. Just be like. I've got to eradicate, got to erase the secondary fear here. So if you're a ruminator, get out of bed, put your shoes on and stop ruminating. If you don't fear fear and you just, uh, oh, I must have slept bad last night. Oh, okay, well, I'll carry on my day. Then then you don't need to do anything. It's fine. But if you're in the midst of that cycle, mm-hmm. you know, I, I want, questions like all the time, morning anxiety. Why do I feel doom when I wake up? Well, we all feel cortisol in the morning. That's what wakes us up. When you wake up, the body goes, boom, have a load of cortisol, which is a fear chemical, actually. But because we're misinterpreting anxiety or we're in the, if we're highly anxious, we start to then see that doom feeling as an invitation to ruminate, to listen to every thought the brain throws at us. I mean, we get seven and a half to 8,000 different thoughts a day. 
and yet we why are we picking the same five crap thoughts every time like, <laughs> when it, what if that happens eh, what if that happens eh, for years even for some people and so it's about yes stepping off the rumination roller coaster the hamster wheel of rumination keep your attention external and that's what a lot of what i do what yeah. doesn't help though is sensationalize narratives particularly when you see therapy on tv and stuff like that where it's about getting to the root cause, you know, yeah. like I call it inception thinking. You know, if I sit here and go through my memories and realize, oh, yeah, it's because my dad didn't come to my soccer game. That's why I'm having panic attack. That doesn't exist in anxiety disorders. That It's just a fear and a mis- misinterpretation. Oh, I went, I went off on a little rant then. Sorry, no, I, do that. I love it. I wrote down three things that I want to go back to. One, one of them is making fun of the kind of Yogi, hey man, just invite the thoughts in. Now, first of all, that is the most British. Am I getting? Am I? Do we say British? <laughs> do we say UK thing I've ever heard? British, yeah. You cool. making fun? But I'm from Boston originally, and then my family <laughs> is from Manchester, UK. Um, oh, that's where I, mean, I live. That I could. I I was going to ask if you're in Manchester, and I'm, I know this information is available online, but I really didn't know what part you were in. To any to anyone listening at home, Manchester is like London, but not shit. It's really good. Yeah. Well, and to anyone listening that's in Boston, Manchester is like Lowell. So anyway, my, my you know, I don't know any of these people, but my great-great-grandfather was in Manchester, moved to Boston, whatever. So I feel this kinship with my British people because Boston, we're all just, we have a low tolerance for bullshit. And I think we can sniff it out pretty well. Um, I think it's what might stop a lot of our kinds of people from getting help in the first place because we're so against bullshit that we don't want anyone to get into our minds, you know. <laughs> but mm. going back to these these people, the, hey, man, just invite the thoughts. I was recently proselytizing that kind of thing, even at the beginning of this uh podcast when I first started it, I was saying that, you know, let's have fun with our anxiety. Uh, At this point, I think of my anxiety as this annoying friend who sits in the front seat of my car and they weigh in on things I should think about, but I just ignore them. Or, you know, they're the idiot at work that pitches ideas and you go, "Uh uh-huh, and you never do it, but you have to keep them there because they're the boss's son, you know. Mm. And I think that's all cute and fine. I'm not putting myself down, but I, I have to be very careful because I got there decades after working on myself. You can't tell someone that hasn't started working yet to just take their ruminations that are, that are, as you said, pretty, you know, disordered and think of them as a friend. I mean, we're not there yet, right? <laughs> yeah, the anthropomorphification, there's a word, uh, anthropomorphizing your anxiety. Like there's, there's books out there like where they turn it into animals or friends or whatever and and, and you know you know what anxiety is there it's there to save your life um and that's why i love psychoeducation and this is really important um as we know anxiety is a threat response i love calling it a threat response because it will engage when there's any threat not just lions and tigers wanting to rip your throat out but Mm -hmm. threat to social stance threat to esteem threat to relationship threat to all those things that's what anxiety is there for, and it's great. But because it's a it's a mechanism in our brain that has not evolved since um, our ancestors, mm-hmm. it doesn't understand the accumulation of subjective stress. So it doesn't understand why you're stressed out about social media. It doesn't understand why your quarterly report isn't in on time. It doesn't understand 
pandemics. It doesn't understand all these things. And so all it does is that it notices that you're getting super stressed. And I always use the analogy of the jug. We all have, you know, it's a metaphor. Look at me. I'm super clever. I'm using metaphor. Uh, we all have a jug and all our stress goes into it. <laughs> and, and that's fine. But we all have a capacity for stress. And this is why people develop anxiety disorders at times in their life where things are super stressful. Not just negative stress either, positive stress. Oh, I just got married, or I just moved house, I just got a promotion, I've just had a kid, or just whatever. Stress will add to that jug. And when it overflows, that's when that mechanism in your brain doesn't understand that. It's so just to mm. be sure it's trying to save you. It's going, you know what? It's better to be wrong and alive than lackadaisical and dead, just like for our ancestors. Mm. You know, our ancestors walking through the jungle, walking across the desert, we all have, I call it the inner meerkat. It's the same mechanism that a meerkat has. It's that meerkats survive because they can't fight lions, but they can see them coming from a mile away. So they can plan around it. And that's how humans became ah. the dominant species. You can't fight or even run away from lions. People talk about fight or flight. It's like, well, yeah, but both would suck when you're fighting right. wolves. Whenever I've been in fight or flight, I, I often wonder what the fight would look like, you know? And, you know, I guess right now it looks like people punching um, flight attendants. <laughs> no, but, but there's another mechanism of anxiety that isn't taught often, and that is our meerkat mode. Because we became the dominant species, the dominant predators, because we can go... Yeah, lads, have you seen that over there? It's a pride of lions. Sharpen your spoons. We'll sneak sneak up on them. Yeah. And we'll, we'll have a Lion King themed barbecue later. Yeah. That mechanism, that anxiety is one of the most powerful things that have made us the, 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 the predators of the world. Mm -hmm. But it sucks when you're sat in the office just trying to type something on a computer. Why the hell is that going off right now? Like, right, like, there's uh, no shark. <laughs> <laughs> there's no shark. There's nothing. And so recovery is turning off that threat response. But each time you ruminate or do a safety behavior or Google your symptoms, you're just thanking it. So next time it's just going to keep going on and on and on. And that's what I'm really passionate about kind of discussing and teaching people. I really like the way you just framed it. And so thank you. You've, you've helped me have more fun with it in that... It's not this, oh, no, we haven't evolved past this. And, you know, we used to do it when we were didn't have toilets and had to run from tigers. You know, it, it sounded so like, well, geez, you know, what's wrong with us? Why didn't we evolve? And, and you're framing it in a way that's like, no, 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 we're not supposed to become tigers. We did evolve. But it's just that that instinct is still there because it's survival. But we are the, you know, I mean arguably so, with the smartest species. But in that sense, we have different senses than other species. We can see them coming. That's our protection. Like, we're all nerds, you know, in the animal kingdom. Like, we're the smart ones with, like, our pencils and calculators. And the jocks are out there, you know, throwing things and trying to, you know, bite us. But we might win because we calculated how long it's going to take them to get to us. Yeah, it's, it, people misinterpret it as a, a dysfunctional part of the brain. And listen, I'm yes. not going to, as someone who suffered a lot with anxiety, I, I sympathize and empathize with that belief. What does help, though, is realizing, and again, that word disorder, it's just, it's just going off when I don't need it to at the moment. And it is always possible to get it 
off. A lot, a lot, a lot of people. I, I hear a lot of things like, "What's the cure?" It's like, no, 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 no. You don't cure anxiety. We all have anxiety. It's super. Again, it's part. We're the nerds of the, the, we need it. Yeah. We, honestly, we'd be extinct without it. It's it's there. But some people's go fires off more readily than others um and what you've got and i always bring people's attention back to the stress jug so first of all a lot of people's stress jugs are filled up by the fear of fear itself what if Mm -hmm. i panic when in situations where i don't like it what if i have an intrusive thought around children what if i freak out uh when i'm driving on the freeway what if i you know embarrass myself in front of my work colleagues now the fear of fear and the fear of anxiety itself will fill up the jug and that when people come and sit in my practice that's the first thing that we look at Mm. then we look at well what else is in the jug how the hell did you get here and that's when there's a place for exploring narratives now everyone knows that i'm anyone who knows my work i'm grumpy as hell because everyone, there's this misbelief and a horrible narrative at the moment in the pop going around in the popular sphere about you overcome all anxiety and mental health issues by identifying trauma. Uh, yeah. It's a popular term. It's, it's, it, it actually waters down the severity of trauma for people who actually experience PTSD. Um, you know, everything's a trauma. You know, I spilt my milk on the side. Oh, it's traumatic. Oh, no, everything's trauma. You know, oh, you know, like I, I heard something the other day, what was it? My dad sometimes not picking me up at the weekend, which he didn't, was traumatizing. That's trauma for me. I mean, it's not. It's just upsetting. It's not traumatizing. Yeah. You know, uh, You know. if he left me in the jungle, then yeah, that's traumatizing. But, you know, he didn't. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so what I do is un- unpick what's in the jargon. And yeah, you will find traumatic events in there. You'll find sadness, grief. You know, maybe you're a survivor of abuse. Maybe you've learned that your esteem is valued on your output rather than who you are. Maybe there's just stuff, anger in there, breakups, divorce, whatever. And you slowly pour out the jug. And that's, for me, how you get on top of anxiety. It's how I got on top of mine. It's how people get on top of theirs. And and it's my opinion, which is always fact on the issue. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's the name of this episode. My opinion is fact with Joshua Flushing. <laughs> That's on my gravestone. (laughs) (laughs) Anxiety Bites will be right back after a quick little message from one of our sponsors. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. You mentioned that other people in your field don't like that you use the word disorder. And I don't know if you need the opinion of a comedian slash podcaster on your side, but not until I started using the word disordered for myself, did I start to go warp speed um, solving a lot of the symptoms and problems of my anxiety. I'd say in the last five years, I had I adopted saying, oh, that's a disordered thought or that's a disordered response. And mm. why don't people like that? I mean, doesn't that anxiety disorder, it's disordered? What's the problem? This... The at face value, and there's a lot of, I can see why people get angry at it because there are there is a lot of medicalization of mental health. I'm with those people. But also in this world of partisan politics, partisan beliefs, partisan debates, actually I like to just not take a side and see things for what things are. Anxiety disorders, in my opinion, do exist. I've mm-hmm. experienced five of them simultaneously. Um, also, the, the pro argument of having a disorder is that you know what type of anxiety it is. Someone comes to me and says, I've got an anxiety disorder. I'm like, bam, I know what you're doing. You wake up, you check how you feel. You're probably constantly obsessing how you feel. You probably, every time you're not 100% happy, you're obsessing about how you feel, how you can fix that. You probably have panic attacks, anxiety attacks. You probably ruminate. Yeah, yeah. Well, then I know you've got anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. But if someone comes into my practice and says, oh, I've got anxiety, then I need to know why. Maybe they're really anxious. Maybe they're in an abusive relationship and they don't know it. Maybe they're super stressed and actually they've got legit anxiety. Maybe they're being harassed and bullied, you know, and that causes anxiety. So it's always cool to set up that distinction. Maybe, you know, and, and so it's always, I always like separating things like that. Um, but yeah, I just think the word disorder has developed a bad rap um, for things like borderline personality disorder. That's a very contentious issue. I wouldn't necessarily ever use BPD as a diagnosis or subscribe to it. Some people really like it. It's their relationship with the label. Uh, and some people categorically reject it. 
or doesn't help in the world of therapy and psychotherapy and, and psychological intervention is that there are partisan arguments in there. There's, there's tribal wars within therapy. So how do you expect, you know, like the amount of people that come to me to help with anxiety and they've spent years trying to pinpoint trauma, you know, and yes, they've been traumatized. I've been traumatized. God, I've been, I've been sexually abused. I've gone through death. I've had my brother die in my arms. I've been beaten the shit out of, of all that. I have been traumatized. I know what trauma is. And that's it for anyone wants to do that. But I don't really have PTSD. People with PTSD relive it, you know, the end of stuff. And you've already done an episode on that and stuff like that. It's really quite severe. Um, but yeah, it's the kind of thing. It's like, separating it and seeing what it is i think your relationship with the word yeah but obviously we live in a climate now where words are, are taken out of proportion semantics are slaughtered it's scary <laughs> it's it so is scary. because people people want, like you said it's everything is partisan and so a lot of times people don't want you to take their word away from them and you're trying to take it away from them <laughs> so you can help them yes Absolutely. Well, there's, um, I'm writing a book on it now, actually. It's called Shit Your Therapist is Thinking. Uh, it's got a lot of interest for it. <laughs> wow. I, yeah, Love it. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It's not out for like another year, but like, it's one of them. Um, there's different modalities in therapy. Now, you've got your person-centered humanistic, which I'm trained in, which is applying the core conditions of Carl Rogers. Uh, and he, he said that people what people are lacking to heal or to grow is empathy, um, unconditional positive regard. So it doesn't matter what your views are that you, you care for this person and congruence, which is authenticity. If you have all those three things in a therapy room, then it's like watering a sunflower and your client will grow. I love that stuff. I love the stuff like that. You yeah. know? Then you've got the behavior sciences like CBT, which I'm also trained in. I also like that too. Uh, um, which I really like. And then you've got like deep spiritual stuff like gestalt therapy and you've got emergency intervention therapy like DBT and stuff like that. But obviously the average Joe on the street doesn't know all this, you know. And each person, when they train in their branch of therapy, it's like a religion. They internalize it at all. Um, that's why you've got to be an integrative therapist so you can look down on all the people that are soul therapists and like, you've only trained in one modality. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, can use, uh, I can use many. Uh, but actually, it's really important because for my anxiety disorder, I needed CBT. Yes. Definitely. For my OCD, I needed ERP. Anyone with OCD, ERP, I love it. It's great. It's hard, but it's great. But then, actually, when I lost my brother and my father, I needed a space to grieve. And CBT sucks for that. I really <laughs> <Right>. liked, <laughs> I needed just a space to feel compassion, to talk through to talk through my traumatic events, to talk through my sadness, my anger. I still have a therapist now. We don't we just talk about a place to just get stuff off my chest. So it's different. Some people go for existential worries. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's different. There's a different modality for each. And unfortunately, there still lies uh, this belief that, well, I'll get a therapist. They'll know everything. Well, no, actually, they don't. <laughs> yeah, it's like saying, um, you know, I don't know if you wanted to study Judaism, saying I'll find a religious leader. I'll, they'll know everything. It's like, no, you might accidentally grab a priest. Like, he's not going to know about you. You know what I mean? Good analogy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There is a lot of this pin the tail on the trauma stuff. Um, and it does get, it does, 
hurt people. And if there's people listening now, I'm, I'm not saying anything offensive to you. I spent years in therapy, wasting money, trying to find the answer to my current fears in the mystery of my past trauma. You know, don't get me wrong. Some of it was helpful, but most of it wasn't because anxiety disorders just exist, you know, and they do. And once you put in the behavior and teach the brain that it's safe, I love formulation. That's what, if as a therapist, I think I'm really good at formulating the problem for people. They come in, we sit down, let's hear what's going on. Sometimes it's if someone just wants a space to talk, that's cool. Sometimes someone has clear OCD, intrusive thoughts or panic disorder, then we work with that. We're not playing pin the tail on the trauma, we deal with the phobia. Um, um, but interestingly, the approach is similar anyway. You know, you use mm. exposure therapy, which I love. Do you have any insights into men and therapy or men and anxiety in that they are just, I mean, I just, you know, armchair over here. I assume that in society, men are taught don't show any weakness and, you know, but it, can you take me beyond that, like, little trite thing that I know? Like, what's the big stuff with men and anxiety? Yeah, I mean, I call it, uh, what I call it is emotional conservatism and it applies to men and women or, or however you identify. And it's, more sticks with men because there's a reverence of strength being measured by how much you are able to not show your emotions. And you know what? That comes from a place, an important place, because during the world wars and throughout history, there wasn't time to mess about about it. There wasn't time to DM people because you're offended because <laughs> they call, called, called out your trauma. No, the, so I'm just picturing soldiers DMing people <laughs> in, in the trenches. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and actually, yeah, emotional conservatism in the war, uh, particularly in the UK, we had the Germans flying over during the Blitz. Huddle down, shut up. Everyone's got it shit at the moment. No one wants to hear about your problems. And I get it. I understand yeah. that. But obviously, we're not in a world war anymore. So what actually happens, what we need to do, and that, one of the biggest killers of, of men in particular, well, the biggest killer of men in the Western world is suicide. Um, really? Which, I didn't know that. Yeah, in the UK, it definitely is. And wow. I'm sure, because the UK and the US, they share a lot of things culturally. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the biggest killer of men in the UK is suicide. Wow. And that, I tell people, that, like, what? Well, like, yeah, overwhelmingly, more than cancer, more than other, it's, Suicide. People choosing that. Yeah, because of emotional conservatism. Because of this reverence where it's weakness to talk about your mental health. Now, everyone assumes that like, my mates who I grew up with, I cried last night because my mate texted me saying, you know that thing about self-belief that we spoke about and we very rarely talk about emotional stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I said, yes, yeah. you know, I think I internalized that and, I, and it really helped. And that is rare for even me and my friendship groups, and I go mm -hmm. public with mine. I On my Instagram page, I literally recorded myself having a panic attack. I've pinned it to my highlights reel just to show you, that, you know, you don't. it's not weakness, you mm. know. Uh, did it like a boss as well. If I'm gonna do but, uh, <laughs> I I'm had a badass panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, but you can see I'm freaking out a bit, like, whoa, like my eyes are like wide open, like, whoa. Um, but yeah, it, it's there because we've got to lose that emotional conservatism. Um, it, you get it all the time. One of the analogies I hear uh, that I use all the time is 
is the result of an introjected belief. And that's another Rogerian term. I love Carl Rogers. I often fantasize about him being my dad, even though he's not here anymore, but uh, to replace my clear father issues that I've still not addressed. <laughs> and he, he said that we introject beliefs through looking at experiences from um, uh, growing up. So picture it, you're a kid, you're at your grandma's funeral and you miss your grandma. You're never going to see her again. Death is one of the most mind-boggling things to process. It's horrible. I know it's grief is horrible. So you're a kid and, you, and you're grieving your grandma. She's cremated or whatever. And then you're crying because that's natural. You're supposed mm. to. Crying is natural for the brain to process things. You should. You should cry about things. It's okay. And then your uncle turns around and he goes, you know what, Josh? Don't cry. Be strong for your grandma. And that mm. is the dumbest thing that we still do today. It's the dumbest thing ever. Because then they all, I'm, I, you know, I'm going to go around funerals, particularly British funerals. I'm just going to leave my card <laughs> on people's seats because I'll see you in about five, ten years when you're in a bar fight, when you're doing drugs, smashing cocaine, trying to, to suppress the feelings that you think they're supposed to be doing. I know, I've done it. I yeah. had a cocaine problem. I had a marijuana problem because I all believed for so many years that feeling feelings was weakness. And so I tried to suppress it. But now, because I'm smart and got the right help, yeah. I was like, oh, actually, yeah, that works. Now, yeah, that's cool. It's all about, it's all about normalizing. Oh, there's another word. But it is about normalizing yeah. that it's okay to have emotions. Sorry, I went off on another round. No, there. it's but good. I it. want you to, this is what it, a podcast <laughs> is for. Well, you know, it's great because anyone who's actually felt their feelings knows mm -hmm. it's a lot harder to do that than it is to stuff them down with drugs, alcohol, you know, violence yeah. or, you know, strength. Well, I try to model what it's like to have emotions and stuff to people, you know, uh, and, and, and in, a, in a way that people can empathize with. Again, going into the popular sphere now of people like, it's almost become a fad to share everything in terms of for entertainment as opposed to that real Carl Rogers congruent, authentic sharing of feelings. That's yeah. what we're missing. Uh, had your had Instagram existed at all, and your Instagram had existed when I was twelve, man, that would have helped me. Uh, you posted about this a while ago, and you've done an episode on your podcast about it. The three D's: um, derealization, depersonalization, and dissociation. And one of my biggest symptoms of uh, anxiety, and then one of the precursors to a panic attack every time for me as a child was derealization and I think depersonalization. And my God, I could never explain it. Please tell us all the three Ds and describe them because you, you describe it so well. I have no language for it. I'm like, it feels like I'm not there. Oh, cool. Absolutely. Um, it's a weird, one of the biggest symptoms of anxiety and misunderstood is the feeling of derealization. Uh, it, it's actually a dissociation response and it can both be a part of trauma, but most of the time it's just an anxious response. Mm. Uh, obviously you go to a trauma therapist, they'll be like, oh my God, it's trauma, pin a tail on trauma. But actually, no, most people who get super stressed and anxious will experience something called derealization or depersonalization. And this feels, derealization feels like you're not in the room. 
Like you are in the room, but it doesn't feel like you're in the room. Objects feel both far away and close at the same time. It just feels weird. And uh, under the same umbrella, you've got depersonalization, which you can have at exactly the same time. And that's when you feel like you're in your body, but you're not. Your hands don't feel like yours. You can hear your voice, but it doesn't feel like you talking. Um, it feels like you don't, you f you, your body feels discombobulated. One leg might feel heavier than the other. Uh, what it, it basically the hyper focus on not feeling like you, uh, and that can apply to things outside as well. The sky is weird. Uh, what I hear a lot is like I feel like I'm walking in a dream but fully awake, uh, or one like I feel like I'm in the matrix. Feels like I'm in a simulation, you know. Uh, and yeah, that happens when we get super stressed, super anxious. It's harmless. It can't hurt you, but when it's not explained to you. It's super scary. It was the trigger for my anxiety disorder. I was sat, stood at work one day making a cup of tea because I'm British. And as I was doing it, I dropped the spoon. It made a, a mildly loud noise and boom, just hit with this dissociation. And I looked up and I was like, the fuck is going on here? Uh, mm. and, I, and I was like, whoa. It was like looking at the same room, but through a mirror. Yeah. So I was like, what's going on here? And then someone walked in and they started talking to me and their faces looked like clay and they sounded like kind of far away. Um, don't get me wrong, don't get freaked out about it. It's normal. But that, to my experience at the time, I was like, I've yeah. never heard this before. And I thought I'd gone crazy. I thought I'd lost my mind. I thought, that's it. You've finally done it, Josh. You've yeah. lost your mind. And that was the biggest trigger for me. And then I went home to work it out, to think about it, to explore roots of trauma. Never left the root house for a year. Oh, um, oh yeah. Oh, I was in a dark place. A yeah. very dark place. Uh, but yeah, that that's that's the 3Ds. Dissociation, derealization, depersonalization. Uh, I just call it derealization to keep it simple. I feel yeah. derealized. I still get it now and then. Once, maybe every few months, I'll be walking yep. around and I'll go, wow, I'm experiencing derealization. I wonder why. Oh, now I know why. Look back at the last week, it was super stressful and I've been worrying about worry. Uh, and that's okay. You've got to take away the fear of it. What didn't help was when I took it to therapy and they were like, and then I started getting a lot of these false memories like, well, maybe I was abused. I don't remember it. And then, then that I was a big one for me. Was <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I just was like, please, can I have a repressed abuse memory? Because this would just solve everything. And they make it seem that way sometimes. And it's like, it was stress. No, you know? no, it's just stress. Yeah. And your body's doing exactly what it should do. Don't be free. It's one of the main questions I get. Millions and millions of people experience it. Yeah. Um, you're okay. If you listen at home going, oh, that's me. You're okay. You know, it's all right. Good CBT and anxiety disorder informed CBT therapists will help you with that. And they do super cool exercises for it, like something called, inter how do I, American, interoceptive exposure. And what it is, is like, you can, you can actually like bring it on yourself to expose yourself to it, to take away the fear. Where I tend to get it is um, if it does happen, it'll be somewhere like the worst place to ever get it, which is like on the subway when it's going over a bridge. I'm in New York now. and That's the best place to get it. You think? Oh, if you were working with me, we'd be doing that every day. Uh, well, because sessions. it happened a few times last month and I went, I do not have a fear of heights or bridges anymore or subways. No, you fear fear. You fear that, yes. that, you, you fear that if, this is what everyone says, 
if I suddenly get derealization now, I will panic. And if I panic, then I will lose control. And if I lose control, it means I can't cope. So I will avoid it. I will also simmer in a broth of anticipatory, anticipatory anxiety um, to try and avoid it, to preempt it. I'll wish and compulsively check and superstitiously ask for it not to happen. No, get your ass on that bridge and go feel derealized because the more you do it, you turn off the threat response mm. and it goes away. The aim isn't to get rid of derealization, it's safe. The aim is to turn off the threat response in association with derealization. So I, I was, like I said the other day, I was sat there feeling derealized, but with no anxiety. I was like, wow, I just feel spaced out. Yet, yeah. I spent a year freaking out. Derealization and panic are not the same thing. It's your interpretation of it. Interesting. Do you like yeah. that lecture? Do you like that TED talk? No, you know, that was helpful because, you know, I... <laughs> I'm pretty good with what you just said about panic attacks. Like I'll, I'll do something and I'll think I might have a panic attack while I do this. I'm like, oh, who cares? You know, it's fine. So used to it, whatever. Mm. But derealization really still freaks me out. And there is a sub, I have two subway lines I can take to my apartment. One of them takes 10 minutes longer, but it doesn't go over the bridge. And you so next time I'm avoiding, I'm avoiding because oh, I don't want to be in derealization. I don't, I don't want to. And there's um, the problem. So you're yeah. teaching the brain that derealization is scary and dangerous. It's not. It yeah. is initially. Yeah. And I know I did. That's why I didn't leave the house for a year. What if I step outside and feel derealization? And I only overcame anxiety when I was willing to be derealized. But here's the thing. It goes away. You'll, you'll notice it. It'll just go. You're like, oh, oh, I feel like me again. And I'm not. It wasn't because I avoided the, the bridge. Yeah. You know, um, and it's, yeah, it's one of those. It's uh... <laughs> But I'm glad we're talking about that because I really like to drill down into, you know, uh, if you just say to the common person or even a, a therapist, oh, I, I have sometimes anxiety on the subway going over the bridge. They're going to start dealing with fear of heights. That's not what I'm talking about. And I know that somebody listening is like, I didn't know that was a thing. So I'm excited that we got to that. Yeah, absolutely. And do you know, here's a stat. The yeah. vast majority of people that fear flying do not fear the plane crashing. They fear their own fear inside the plane. They I, fear going yeah. insane inside the plane. They don't fear the plane dropping. That was my uh, experience with my fear of flying all my life that I now don't have. But I, it started with the fear of crashing. And then I maybe really, truly only had that once. And the rest of the time, it was the fear of having another panic attack, you know? So you can get on a plane and fly across the world, but you can't go over a bridge? Get, get over that bridge. <laughs> if someone said to me right now, get on a flight to Australia, I'd be like, oh, cool. I get my earbuds and I'll read a book. But if someone said, get on the Q train, it's just a one minute over that bridge. I go, oh, I don't know. I don't want to. I will be uh, looking. I will be listening to your next podcast, and I expect the update that you did it. Okay, I'm going to do it for you. And I, when this episode comes out in my intro, I will yeah. reveal how it went. And then it's worse. Yeah, I'm actually, like actually. It's worse. You just you just read like a police. You just the big news from America. This woman went insane on a train, and it fell off the bridge because she pushed the driver. I'm there. Like, I'm there. Like, <laughs> messaging my lawyers. Like, um, I need some help. <laughs> <laughs> that would actually be amazing if that happened. No, you can't go crazy. Anxiety can't make you go crazy. Everyone thinks that derealization means you're going to go crazy. You're not yeah. going to go crazy. We'll be right back. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God. 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Let's end with, you have a great social media presence, as I said, at the top of the episode, and we're going to link to everything in the show notes. Now, I hear all of this, you know, Instagram is so bad for people's mental health, and I get it, but I also feel like, for me, I'm having a great time with social media in terms of how much I still get to learn for free about anxiety and other things. And I get to see so many people talking about their feelings. And I don't know how I would have gotten through the pandemic without social media, living by myself, you know. So is there um, a counter to how terrible social media is? Social media isn't terrible. And also, again, like uh, you know me now, I don't uh, blanket statements and partisan stuff. I'm not into. Oh, you're interested right. You're right. You're right. It's like it's like. Um, no, 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 no. It's, our relationship say, to it. People say it's part of the argument, isn't it? Oh, social media is bad. It's your relationship yeah. with what you are seeing on your social media. Now, don't get me wrong. I speak to a lot of people who follow anxiety pages, and some of them suck. They're actually not helpful. It's misinformation. Yep. And some of them are incredible. So it depends on what you're following. Uh, some of the, my favorite pages that I follow on anxiety are um, obviously mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but like there's people like Kimberly Quinlan, 
who talks about OCD and ERP, and she's a genius. There's people like The Anxious Truth, who's drooling Salata, who lives in New York. Um, there's people like um, other like qualified therapists that, that, that do a lot um, of stuff like that. And then there's also people that just post about their journey, and that's okay too. It's okay to have that sphere to to kind of normalize you know, going through stuff. Okay, you can get into vulnerability porn, which is a thing that at the moment where, you know, it's just become a thing where I'm just going to keep showing my vulnerability because I'm getting likes and clicks. I do think a lot of people, they, they almost get like addicted to the sympathy and empathy they get by posting their vulnerability and and they do it in, in the name of helping others, but I don't, It's it starts to it, eat its own it's, tail. It's their intention, absolutely. I love that, yeah, it eats its own tail. Like, um, yeah, like, so when you see my vulnerability that I share pinned on my thing, it's actually, I turn that into psychoeducation. So yeah. I'm saying is, look, I'm doing this, but I'm not feeling sorry for myself. You can do this too. You know, uh, whereas some people do that, but yeah, it, it depends on your on on. I find that with vulnerability porn, it's actually kind of it all, it almost dampens your hopes. Like, well, if this really well known person is struggling, then what what hope do I have? So yeah, it depends. To answer the question, is who are you following? Find yeah. someone that you trust and who actually resonates with you, and then see who they're following. See what they're doing. You know, and that's what I do. Um, you know, and, and just because someone has a qualification and a therapist doesn't mean they're right. And that's including me. Mm -hmm. I sound sanctimonious. I sound like a pretentious prick. But I could be wrong to you as well. What I say, use your judgment, use your mm -hmm. intuition and kind of, yeah, just, see what speaks to you but as long as it's not part of the compulsive cycle where you're constantly seeking reassurance because that doesn't get you anywhere yeah thank you so much for being on my show this was such a delight no, thank you thank you for using your platform to talk about it uh, and things like that I, re I really appreciate it uh, and I'll listen to some more of your episodes I think that's super, super cool and you've obviously done your research on it as well <laughs> you, you were and lived it <laughs> uh, yes and, and don't listen to any of the episodes where I say things that that I've now changed my mind on like anxiety is your friend <laughs> where I'm like hey man anxiety is your friend bring it on the yoga mat <laughs> yeah. Just breathe. Just accept. Oh God, I say that just a lot accept, too. Just accept your anxiety. Accept, yeah, accept. Like I feel like I've got a gun to my head and I'm going <laughs> to shit myself. Yeah, okay, I'll accept that. Yeah. Oh man, I'm I've done still, it too. I've done it too. I'm still going to say it. I'm still going to say it because I'm a hippie at heart. <laughs> and I hope you enjoyed my chat with Joshua Fletcher, Anxiety Josh. And, uh, oh, I'm just cracking up about how he immediately made fun of people who say, be friends with your anxiety. That's all I do on this podcast, but I'm still going to say it. But I'm going to be a little more mindful now that that's not always the first thing that we, that we can do about our anxiety. For me, it was really like the millionth thing I did about my anxiety. And, and I always think sometimes when I learn something or adopt a behavior as one of the like latest tools in my toolkit, I guess I always have this tendency to think, oh, well, I should have been doing that from the beginning. And, you know, maybe I wasn't even able to do that from the beginning. And that's why that tool presented itself to me now, this whole notion of having a sense of humor about my anxiety and, you know, think of it as a friend in the front seat. I mean, that's not the only thing I do for my anxiety. It's just one of the things. And so, yeah, this notion that, well, let's just start there for everybody else when I give my little advice. It's like, mm, maybe, 
that's something to think about, but it might not be available to someone until they're a little further along with more cognitive work. <laughs> so again, I'm not a therapist. I'm just a podcaster trying to bring you so many different points of view and information to help you find the breadcrumbs you need to get out of the woods of your anxiety. So here's my update on the whole subway situation. First of all, I love when I do an interview with someone and they end up helping me somehow. It happened with the Anxiety Sisters and the Dr. Luana Marquez episode and the Claire Bidwell episode and the um, Dr. Judd episode. Just, you know, all of a sudden, I feel like I'm in a therapy session. But I didn't get a chance to practice yet on that subway. Now, let me explain. I'm not doing avoidance. I live and work in Brooklyn and I really don't need to use the subway ever. Um, Everything I do is walking and the subway that I would take in Brooklyn is not the one that I have that issue with anyway. Um, But I'm recording this a week in advance. So on this upcoming weekend, which will be the past for you by the time you hear this, I did have an appointment booked in Manhattan that would require me to take that train that goes over the bridge. And I ended up rescheduling the appointment only because there's supposed to potentially be a nor'easter snowstorm this weekend. And I'm not exactly sure um, that I want to walk to the subway in like the whipping winds and the ice and whatever. So rescheduled on account of weather. But I will get on that train at some point. But I will tell you, something did happen that did give me a chance to sort of work on my derealization. I was, again, on the subway, different one, not the one that goes over the bridge. And I fell asleep because I, if, if I sit down and I'm on a train, any train, even if it smells bad, I can fall asleep. And I was reading a book, not even a Kindle, an actual book that you hold in your hand. And so between that sort of relaxing thing and the train and I'm warm in my coat and my mask, I fell asleep and I woke up about six stops away from where I live. And it was disorienting to say the least. And I woke up and I got off the train and it was broad daylight afternoon, but I wasn't sure where I was. And there was just something about, I don't know, it's just that feeling. And I started to get feelings of derealization. And I thought, oh God, here comes a panic attack. And then I just went, oh, I can talk about this on the podcast. Oh my God, this is so funny. Oh my God. I remember when I was talking to Anxiety Josh about this and then it just stopped. So I didn't even get to practice sitting with it. It stopped because I thought of this podcast. So I don't know if that's what would have happened on the bridge. I I think, who knows? But that's the only update I can give for now. But I will put one in the corner on this one. That's not even an expression. (laughs) I'll put one on the board for talking about this stuff. Because when you talk openly and honestly about your things that you are hiding and not really telling other people that you're doing and you're, you're doing all these kind of anxious safety behaviors, if you speak it out loud, I'm telling you something happens when you're about to start doing it again, where you're accountable in a way. You know, I knew I was going to have to report back to all of you. And something about that helped. Now, I don't have the words for it because I'm not a therapist, but definitely, definitely something about that helped. So here are the takeaways for this episode. 
Conventional anxiety is worrying about your job or money, for example, but internal ruminative disordered anxiety is panic attacks, obsessing, intrusive thoughts, panicking about panic, fearing fear, the list goes on. As a therapist, Josh has to ask his clients, is it a cyclical problem or is this temporary? Anxiety before a date or a job interview is normal as we know why we are anxious, but disordered anxiety is waking up with, let's say, a feeling of doom for no reason. It's all anxiety, and we still practice the same response for it, but what separates it is that the disordered anxiety is more of a fear of fear. We all feel cortisol in the morning. It's the chemical that wakes us up, but if we misinterpret it, it becomes anxiety, and we see that doom feeling that we wake up with as an invitation to ruminate and to listen to every thought that our brain throws at us. Each time we ruminate or do a safety behavior, or you Google your symptoms, you're just thanking your threat response, which adds to your anxiety. People often misinterpret that we have an evolved past anxiety as a dysfunctional part of the brain, but we don't cure anxiety. We do need it. We would be extinct without it. Derealization can be a trauma response, but mostly it's an anxious response. And it feels like you're not in the room, and objects can feel close or far away at the same time. Depersonalization feels like you're in your body, but you're not. Your hands don't feel like yours. You can hear your voice, but it doesn't feel like you're talking. Your body feels discombobulated. You feel like you're walking in a dream, but you're fully awake. The three Ds can happen to us when we are super tired or stressed. They are harmless, and it can't hurt us. And the number one cause of a panic attack is fear of fear. Thank you again for listening to this episode. All information on the work of Anxiety Josh can be found in the links in the show notes. You can also go to jenkirkman.com and click Anxiety Bites if you want to read the takeaways from every episode I've done or just get more information about the show. Again, thanks for listening and Anxiety Bites, but you're in control. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.